Hello and welcome. You're listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. It's February 2nd. I'm your host, Gabriella Silva-Ponte. We're live again today, and I've actually had quite the day. Uh, Not only did I see Jagmeet Singh in person, I also had a Zoom call with the Canadian Minister of Immigration, Mark Miller. Speaking of which, in this episode, we'll be covering a Yorkdale Mall robbery, to Minister Miller's restrictions, to a safety app for students. As always, let's first take a look at today's top news, as reported by Sharanki Kalantharasa. It is Friday, February 2nd, and I'm your host, Sharanki Kalantharasa, reporting for Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. And here are our top stories from today. Alberta proposes parental consent for name changes at schools and age restrictions for gender affirmation. Four suspects are being wanted by Toronto police after a robbery at Yorkdale Mall. A man has been arrested regarding a syringe stabbing near Young and Dundas. The Toronto District School Board changes a PA day in April due to solar eclipse. So let's get into it. For the first headline, the Alberta the Alberta Premier proposes a parental consent for name changes at school and age restrictions for gender affirmation. In a post on X, also known as Twitter, on Wednesday morning, Danielle Smith, the Alberta Premier, claimed that the government will require parental consent for students under the age of 15 to make sure to make changes to their names and pronouns at school. According to Global News, students from ages 16 to 17 will not require parental consent. However, their parents will be notified of these changes. In addition, education topics of gender identity, sexual orientation, etc. will require approval by the ministry before being taught. As a matter of fact, parents can choose to have their children opt out of learning about these topics if they wish according to a report by Global News. Premier Smith's reasoning for the implementation of this procedure was that she feels that making changes to one's biological sex should be done during adulthood as it would affect their future choices as youth. For the second headline, four suspects of a robbery are wanted by Toronto police. Toronto police shared images of four suspects that are currently being searched for regarding a robbery at a jewellery store at Yorkdale Mall. According to CTV News, the robbery happened around 8.45 a.m. One suspect threatened employees with a handgun while the other smashed the glass displays containing the jewellery with hammers. Police describe these men with a height of 5 foot 8 and a slim build. As for the third headline, a man was arrested for a syringe stabbing near Young and Dundas. 
Toronto police have arrested a 43-year-old man for allegedly stabbing someone with a syringe near Young Street and Dundas Street West. The suspect allegedly fled the scene right after the incident and entered a subway at Young and Dundas. Police told City TV News that the suspect and the victim did not know each other. The victim was taken to the hospital, but details regarding the injury are not yet revealed. The name of the suspect has been released, Aaron Komchek, and he has been charged with aggravated assault, assault with a weapon, and failing to comply with a release order. We urge Toronto Metropolitan University students to be aware of their surroundings at this time. For the last headline, the Toronto District School Board changes a PA day for the solar eclipse. The TDSB released a statement yesterday that they will be switching one of the professional activity days from Friday, April 19th to Monday, April 8th. This is due to concerns that the solar eclipse occurring on Monday, April 8th may leave certain parts of Ontario in darkness. According to a report, the solar eclipse, which is expected to occur around the end-of-day dismissal time, poses a concern for students as they may be looking directly at the sun without proper protection. The decision was made with Ministry of Education and other school boards in the area such implemented the same thing, including TCDSB. Before I wrap up, let's take a quick look at the weather for the rest of the week. Today, temperatures are expected to stay at the range of 2 degrees Celsius, with the weather being described as partly cloudy. However, the sun is expected to make an appearance. Tomorrow, temperatures will go down by 1 degree Celsius to 1 degree Celsius, with the weather being described as clear and partly sunny. On Sunday, we are expected to have temperatures rise up to 3 degrees Celsius, with the weather being described as sunny and clear. So it looks like the weathers are going up to positives for the rest of the week. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. It's Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Sharanki Kalantharasa. Again, that was Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thanks, Sharanki.
Next up, we've actually got a pretty interesting story. Victim Services Toronto has created an app entitled Angie App, which comes out of their Ask for Angela campaign. Today, I spoke with Victim Services Community Development Coordinator Jasminder Sikhan and app developer Nelson Lee. Sikhan went into detail about what Victim Services Toronto is. So Victim Services Toronto is a not-for-profit organization that supports individuals all across the city of Toronto, including Central Toronto, North York, Etobicoke, and Scarborough, um, in the aftermath of a crime or sudden tragedy. So if anybody has experienced, you know, anything they would consider to be a crime or a sudden tragedy, they can reach out to us and get support. We have a couple of different programs. We've got our 24-7 crisis line that folks can call to get over the phone and in-person support so we can come to you or you can come to us and then we've also got our enhanced services so folks can be referred either to other services across Toronto that may be relevant to them but they may also be referred in-house and then we also have some really interesting programming because we know that violence is a huge issue in the city of Toronto. We actually have over 17,000 calls that we take every single year, and about 70% of those are gender-based violence focused. And so we recognize that this is an issue. So we thought, you know, let's not just react to the issue, but let's also get proactive and do a lot of youth programming education. And that's a huge part of the work that we do as well through our Teens Ending Abusive Relationships program, as well as through our youth symposium. I just wanted to add that, as I mentioned, Victim Services has a 24-7 crisis response line. We are here for you no matter what. Uh, No police report needs to be made in order to access supports from Victim Services. You will be able to access those just by having a conversation with us. And so we are here for you. We have your back. Uh, You know, if, if you're in the city of Toronto and need support in any way, shape or form, we're here for you. Lee described what the app is and some of its main features. Yeah, the Angie app is an incredible safety app that acts as a proactive educational resource, as well as it simplifies the process for students to get help. And so what uh, students are able to do when they download the app is add their friends, their family members, be connected to Victim Services Toronto. And during any type of incident, they're able to quickly share their location status. They're able to find the safest route to walk home. They could document and store evidence when it comes to critical incidents, as well as there's a curated expert reviewed education center inside the app where we focus um, resources on things such as safety, consent, and healthy relationships. Of course, so the main feature is the Angie safety button, which allows you to notify friends, family members, victim services, as well as 911 with a single click. It shares your location and your status instantly, and it helps you progress through levels of emergency, whether that's simply calling a friend or family member or escalating it all the way to calling emergency services. We also have various other features such as Safest Route where we utilize crowdsourced data to find the safest way and the best route home 
while sharing your location. So if you're a student, as you're walking home, you're able to share your location with your family members so that they know when you got home safely. In addition, we also allow users to document and store evidence, and so they could save voice or written notes, as well as photographs of injuries or things that uh, you may wish to remember if you decide to report down the road. And then lastly, once again, the Education Center is an amazing, expert-reviewed, curated resource that has links and articles and short-form media to allow students to learn more about things such as consent, healthy relationships, safety, and so much more. And so it's a really powerful app. Uh, the Angie app also has a sister app called the Haven app where it's on various university campuses. Um, and the Angie app is now focused specifically on students as well. Just as a note, Lee was also the CEO of, or is also the CEO of the Haven app. Uh, and the Ask for Angela campaign initially started in the UK, uh, but Victim Services Toronto did adapt it. Um, both of our interviewees went into detail about why they chose to create this app. Sure. I started this app after a friend shared her sexual assault story with me at the University of Toronto. And as a computer engineer, I thought, what are some ways where I could really help? Initially, I wanted to create a pro bono legal clinic, but that just wasn't within my expertise. And I thought, why not use my skills of making apps and technology and actually make a proactive way for people to get help when they need help, to be able to re access resources as quickly as possible, to be able to share your location status to your friends, your family members, to 911, to victim services, all with just a single click. We want to simplify that process as much as possible so that people get help could get help as quickly as possible. And so that's really where um, the Haven app started. And from there, we've been working with victim services since day one to ensure that what we're doing inside the app is informed and expert reviewed. And from there, we decided to collaborate to make the Angie app, which is focused on youth as well. Absolutely. And when we heard about the app at Victim Services, we knew how many people would be able to benefit from an app such as this one. We've heard, you know, we present to thousands of young people. We speak to thousands of clients each and every single year. And for many of them, they've highlighted some of the gaps in terms of what they're seeing or their ability to be able to call for support or even their ability to access and figure out what resources are readily available for them within the city. And so it was really, you know, exciting when we came across Nelson's app, um, our executive director, Carly Kalish, you know, uh, worked alongside Nelson to really help figure out um, what are the gaps? How do we make this trauma informed? How do we ensure that it's really working for survivors based on the feedback that we have at the organization with clients directly? Lee, let everyone know how to download the app if they'd like. Um, and I do suggest that you do it because it sounds really cool. Yeah, so the app will be released on the 22nd of February. And so on the Victim Services website, as well as on our uh, the Angie app website, you'll be able to access the iOS as well as the Android app. And so both of them have the exact same functionality and features. They are also available in both English as well as French for students, uh, depending on the language that they prefer. And so there's so many ways to get to it, and we'll be more than happy to share it as well with the audience. 
and Sakone went into detail about why this benefits TMU students specifically. We hear a lot from university students that actually, unfortunately, experience various forms of violence. We know that uh, the age group that is the most likely to experience both sexual assault and human trafficking is between the ages of 18 to 24 years old. And that is really the age range um, in which a lot of university students fall or the majority of university students fall, at least within their undergraduate programs. And so with that, we know that this is something that there is a really high demand for. Um, at Victim Services, we're also hosting a youth Toronto-focused safety symposium. And so people who are educators, people who are um, working in the not-for-profit industry and supporting young people are actually able to access a whole bunch of content online about online safety, um, you know, gangs and gun violence, intimate partner violence, various forms of gender-based violence, and over 14,000 youth have signed up already, and the Angie app is actually a part of that release. And so we will be encouraging young people to download the app, um, get access, and you know get the tools that they need in order to keep themselves safe. Finally, Canadian Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Mark Miller held a Zoom press conference with student journalists across the country today. I was lucky enough to be invited and I will be sharing this with you. I attended on behalf of Met Radio. And Minister Miller did start off by going into details about new international student restrictions. So let's hear a little bit about what he had to say about that. as a top destination for those looking for high quality international education but in recent years uh, over uh, year over year growth has become unsustainable and for many canadian communities the influx of students has put significant pressure on housing on healthcare, on infrastructure and on other services to ensure that there's no increase in the number of foreign students in canada we put in place a national cap uh, divided up by population and provinces on the on the number of applications received based on the number of student of study permits that will expire this year uh, essentially it means um, as visas are issued mostly on a three-year basis no new net growth for um, for this year the, the cap is expected to result in approximately 360 thousand uh, approved study permits for for this year in 2024 and we'll continue to work closely with with uh, provinces and territories to put these measures in place as they shore up the robustness of their systems that uh, they are responsible for. Um, they are obviously are responsible for determining how the cap is distributed between local designated learning institutions. For those of you that play fantasy baseball, there's no room to trade cap space for those provinces that have more space to welcome more students. Uh, to align our 
policies with provincial decisions, future students, future foreign students will be required to provide a provincial attestation level letter with their study permit applications. And to be clear, uh, processing right now of study permits is frozen until provinces can satisfy uh, our government, uh, my department, that they have an attestation letter attached to each application that, that we received, obviously increasing the robustness and the integrity of, um, of the application system. Like I said, this will pause the intake applications and until provinces and territories have set up the systems uh, and this, to the best of their abilities, we believe provinces can do that by March 31st and even earlier if, in our estimation. It's important to highlight that the cap doesn't apply to masters and doctoral students, primary and secondary school students, work permit holders, and in Canada, family members of work and study permit holders and of permanent residents. So people that are here, current study permit holders, including students applying for an extension. As of January 22nd, open work permits will only be available to spouses or common law partners of foreign students enrolled in master's and doctoral programs. Spouses or common law partners of foreign students enrolled in other levels of study, including undergraduate and college programs, will no longer be eligible for an open work permit. A recognized institution framework that I announced before Christmas, a few months before Christmas, will highlight post-secondary designated learning institutions that set a higher standard for services, support, and outcomes for international students. In turn, my department, IRCC, will prioritize study permits processing for students accepted to these institutions. This is an effort to separate sort of better institutions from those that need more work in surrounding the student experience. Uh, building on other reforms to the International Student Program, our recent announcement aims to protect the system that's been abused for far too long and support sustainable demographic growth uh, in Canada. These measures are not against international students. I think it's very important to highlight that. <clears throat> They're actually to ensure that if future students arrive in Canada, they'll receive the quality of education that they actually signed up for and were promised and paid for sometimes uh, many times more than domestic students. It would be a disservice to welcome international students knowing not all of them are getting the resources they need to succeed in Canada and having them return home disillusioned uh, and disappointed in Canada, Canada's education system. Um, allowing bad actors to continue their operations would be a disservice to all the good institutions who pride themselves in providing a top tier academic experience. And I know you have never actually heard me ask an interviewee question, so here is me asking Minister Miller my question for the day, and of course, his answer to it. Hi there, uh, my name is Gabriela Silva-Ponte. I'm with Met Radio at Toronto Metropolitan University. So my question for you, Minister, is, is there any way, other way that we could be addressing the affordability crisis, the quality of the international student program, and the overwhelming number of incoming migrants without placing all these restrictions on international students themselves? Yeah, and look, this isn't something for international students. Thank you, Gabriela. It isn't something for international students to shoulder uh, the burden of the affordability crisis that is going around Canada. It, it is that said that, you know, some of our, the, the top economists in Canada uh, directly or, 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 or through other words have said that this measure is one of the more important affordability measures that the government of Canada has taken. Uh, and I think that is the significance of that should not be understated. Um, 
international students have not created or caused the rise directly of, of interest rates that anyone any of us that either rents or is or, is, uh, or owns a home uh, is feeling there this has been a challenge in terms of the integrity of the system that has existed for some time notwithstanding that situation uh, the announcement that I made fundamentally to back up is one that deals with the integrity of the system uh, and and, it, and its fundamental fairness it has the very important incidental effect of making sure that as we address the volume, we need to address the quality proposition, which is which is the student experience. Now, that's not something that obviously the Minister of Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada can do alone. I, I sort of know, I do have a sense of what my place is. We have to have provinces involved in making sure that the institutions that they regulate and have the jurisdiction over um, provide that proper experience. Now, obviously economists look at volume in some areas where there needs to be significant reductions, uh, whether it's in the um, whether it's in, in private institutions or um, some of the public ones, that'll really be up to the provincial premiers and their teams to decide. Hopefully they do the right thing and shut down some of the bad actors. But this has all the, the, um, the makings of possibly being something actually quite positive that reforms the system. Uh, once So... A cap, as I've always said, and you can look at what I've said earlier on in the year, is really a, a very rough instrument to deal with something that needs to be a little more fine-tuned, but it had sort of had to be done. Could there have been better ways if we had more lead-up time and, and provinces buying in in a more cooperative way? Absolutely. That wasn't the case. And so I'm um, always willing to entertain alternatives when uh, w- once we've sort of gotten the, the, the ship righted, because there are absolutely better ways to do things. Uh, caps are pretty rough, rough instruments. Me turning on taps, turning off taps, and um, not giving visas to certain people uh, it, it, it are as, as 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 important as the measures are are pretty are pretty rough in nature. So I'll I'll, I'll give you that. The affordability means a lot of things. It's what people are paying at the end of the month when they pay off their credit card or their mortgage. Um, you look, you go down that list. It it. it it shouldn't surprise anyone that people are paying more money for basic goods. They're paying more money for rent, uh, and it's tough to make ends meet. So there are other measures clearly that we can take uh, in the affordability space as well. So while this was one of the more important measures that that our government has taken, there's there's a whole heck of a lot left to do to make people feel like um, they're making ends meet. That's our show. You've been listening to The Final Word on Met Radio 1280 AM in Toronto. I'm Gabriela Silvaponte. This episode was put together by myself and Sharanki Kalantharasa. Thank you for listening live, and we'll see you again next week.